What's going on? Welcome to another episode of Retail Coffee Break. I am your host, Nick McHenry. Today's episode is a very interesting episode. The reason it's interesting is because it's actually an interview I did over the summer several months ago with Krista Raymer and Leah Reed of the Vitrina Group, who specialize in consulting for a variety of retailers, but also cannabis retailers throughout Canada. And it's interesting because we had this conversation under the context of the first round of retail lockdowns. They were just coming to an end and we talked through what were some of the things that they saw retailers implementing and innovating on to make it through the first lockdown. And the reason it's interesting is because you know, today is December 7th, 2020, and right now we're going through somewhat of a second round of lockdowns. It's a little bit different this time around, but in Toronto, retail is actually currently closed. Um, so it's interesting to see through the lens of what's happening right now, what's changed? Have we learned anything from the first time around? Have innovations taken foothold over the last six months and have been implemented even further? It's just a really interesting lens to look at yours or any retail business currently going into 2021. So I hope you take something away from this interview. I know I definitely did. And yeah, enjoy the episode. Um, is everything still shut down there? Because everything is still, I mean, Toronto, my understanding is Canada is still completely on lockdown, right? Yeah, until June 2nd. Yeah, it depends on the province. Different provinces has kind of started to roll back um, in terms of what you can do. Okay. Retailers this week in Ontario are able to start to do click and collect from like curbside del- curbside pickup. Mm-hmm. Um, but before that, they were kind of all closed. Uh, so there's definitely like a bit of a resurgence in some businesses in the next couple weeks. Um, but in terms of number of people in a space, access to retail environments, still closed. Right. And I mean, actually, let's start there. You might just, if we just dive in, because you just said something that I, I would love to hear your thoughts on. I yeah. guess, have you spoken to anybody that you work with on the retail side about curbside pickup or like, are they doing it? How has it been? I, I don't know. What's been your feedback or response from it, I guess? Yeah, so we work with retailers who are also in regulated industries. So they've been operating uh, curbside pickup for the last little bit. Um, okay. Navigating that space has been, how do we service the customer? Where do we tell them to go? How do we get in contact with them on when they are outside? Like it, it's those contact pieces. Um, mm-hmm. More so now, we've got some other retailers who are starting to do the curbside pickup got it biggest issue for sure is the communication and how easy it is for your customer to be on your website Mm -hmm. to purchase and then to communicate when and how to pick it up um and like i'm sure you've seen a lot of retailers are really struggling with getting and servicing their website to effectively operate on right right so just e- even just like changing that little nuance of the website, let's say, to somehow like, okay, I'm used to buying it online and having it shipped to me, but to somehow have a drop down or whatnot of like, okay, I'm going to pick it up curbside pickup 
what does that communication look like? There's got to be an email that goes, there's got to be some kind of alert when they get there, just a system in place, right? Yeah. Where they go to pick it up, who they contact when they're there. Like there are a lot of retailers who have taken some very quick steps, which is just post a sign on the front door and say, call us when you are here and we'll bring you your order. Depending on how busy the retailer is, that isn't always scalable or efficient. So... I think I told you this last time we, we chatted, but I'm not like super familiar with the cannabis retail space. So I'm going to rely on you to be the expert here. Do, do like the people you work with yeah. or the majority of cannabis retailers have e-commerce or some way to buy online because of regulation and whatnot or? So up until um, in Ontario specifically uh, in Canada, kind of across the country, up until COVID, there were a lot of regulations as to if they could sell online. Um, There is a company that's operated out of the U.S. actually it's called Dutchie um, that facilitates curbside pickup uh, or like click and collect. um, And that had been operating for a while, but no payment could be made. So it's kind of just like a reserve And so they have had to very quickly um, make a move and be agile to get to the point where they can operate with click and collect um, and payments online. So you've seen retailers go from not being online at all to being online in three weeks um, because regulations have allowed for it. So they've been agile and been able to do that, Um, which is interesting because it's like an industry that had been so regulated and had had limitations that they could do this mm-hmm. but when you look at the counterpart in terms of like apparel retail for example much slower to make those adaptations and launch the solutions quickly right um, just like an overall slowness to get into that process yeah because that's like i mean I'm, I'm just kind of thinking through the use case when it comes to cannabis retail because that's the one thing that i've been thinking about nonstop and trying to talk to as many people as i can about the whole curbside pickup thing because you look at apparel at least in the u.s and from what i know in canada a disproportionate amount of let's say specialty the smaller size retailers didn't even have e-commerce to begin with and if you don't have e-commerce and like you're saying and i agree with you like the tricky part is how to do the logistics of how do you even organize curbside pickup taking a step back if you don't even have e-commerce how do your customers even know what to buy to pick up? You know, like what's that first step of like, they can call you with a need of whether it's like new pants, new dress, whatever, but like, how can they get that, that message across? And then then how do you continue the communication to the actual pickup? And how do you make a payment? Like payment for me, I think, um, thinking about retail spaces, payment and ease of payment is so important and should be the most painless thing, which isn't always the case. Um, And if you have not set up an e-commerce website and someone's calling in an order, how are you accepting payment for that? Are we going to manually charge cards over the phone? There's a lot of risk associated with that. Can you send out a payment link? Are you like, how is this happening? Are you sending an invoice and then expecting that money be sent wirelessly or like, yeah, wirelessly to you? Like it just is the whole there's a lot of moving pieces. So for you to set up an e-com website that integrates easy payment is so important for you to be able to close on that sale. Because if you don't, then you can be beat to the punch with enterprise sized businesses who are monopolizing that space. Right. So now with, so now with cannabis retail specifically, can they finish the purchase online or do they have to have some kind of mobile payment that they bring outside of the store to finish the transaction there? Transactions are being completed online. Okay. Um, there's a U.S. pay or a Canadian-based payment processing service, okay. Mergo. 
um, that are now operating in the U.S. as well, who partnered with some of these uh, click and collect companies um, to facilitate payment happening prior to the customer picking up their goods. Got it. Got it. Got it. So I have to ask you, are you a like Apple Pay kind of gal? Like were you a a big Apple Pay or remote pay person prior to COVID? For sure. Um, we have had tap payments in Canada for a while um, and consistently across the country on a different level than you have in the U S um, just our payment processing laws and are very different. Um, and the number of banks that we operate with are very different, which has made it easier to do pay like contactless pays payment. Um, but moving forward, I think like thinking about what your, uh, threshold amount is. Is it $100? Is it $250? Like one of the first steps we saw in Canada was grocery stores went to a $250 tap on your Apple card um, amount so that you can gro- do your grocery shopping and not touch. During- Wait, so what, is, what does that mean? What does $250 amount mean? Like you're, so when you, when you use your Apple device to pay for something. Uh-huh. Um, there's a threshold amount that's usually up to $100. Ah, got it. So they increased the tap threshold to 200 or 250 depending on the retailer during this time um, to be able to make those payments happen as smoothly as possible and limit the amount of touch in store. Got it. Got it. Got it. That makes sense. I, didn't, I had no idea about the minimum, uh, to be honest with you. So that's really interesting that that's changed. Yeah. I was definitely the opposite. I would say if there's one thing that's changed in the technology landscape that's changed my perception on it is, is contactless payment. I, I'm like, I mean, I don't know. I'm a founder of a tech company. So like, I, I like to think I'm pretty technologically advanced, but with Apple Pay, I mean, shit, I, I never <laughs> used it. People would always ask and I, I just was not on that bandwagon, but I definitely am now. Why? Why didn't you use it before? So that's a really good question, actually. Um... I don't, I don't have a great answer. I mean, honestly, the answer was just like, I didn't see like the inherent benefit to it, I guess. I got no, it's not, I'm not like upset to pull a credit card and pay with my credit card. So I guess at the time, I mean, this was pre like thinking of germs or thinking of, you know, any of that type of thing. So I guess I never saw the, I never even took the time to learn how to use it or like upload the cards to my phone or, or any of that. And also I think it was because, I mean, even living in New York City, so much is like you have the range of delis that will only take cash to yeah. people that will take Apple Pay and everything in between. So I think because there wasn't every single transaction I could do it, it just wasn't an impetus enough at retail for me to want to be like, all right, I have to use Apple Pay because every single time I go anywhere, they ask me. Yeah. We also see like in Canada specifically have been able to add debit cards. So it's right. not just right. credit cards. So right. You have a lot of... And a, a huge range in option. Um, and because we have limitations in terms of the number of payment style terminals, it's been much easier for retailers to roll it out. Like if mm-hmm. you accept credit cards, then you probably accept like tap services. Right. right. Um, so it's, it's just been a little more ubiquitous in uh-huh. Canada in terms of where your use cases are. Yeah. I mean, I was in and spent a lot of time in the U S like two years ago and you had small retailers using Square right. be able to accept tap payments um, or like a, a Square type product. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you had huge enterprise businesses who were able to accept it. And then in between was all over the map. Right. 
Um, but now I think like, especially during this time and moving forwards, that payment processing needs to be so smooth and needs to not break up the customer interaction at all. Like how do you limit the breaking up of that interaction? Oh, I completely agree. And it's, it seems like it's just, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but almost just like almost the foundational like necessity to extend your availability of like, whether it's contactless payment, whether it's like being able to accept accept the payment on the floor or outside the store through a phone, just seems like whatever way they want to pay, you should have it set so they can do it that way in like the most easy process possible. Right. Yeah. It's not a differentiator. Like it shouldn't be like we have contactless payment, (laughs) therefore we're the best retailer. No, it needs to just be that piece where your customer doesn't have to think about it. It's like, it's already paid, they're going and that they are comfortable with if they want to make a return, how easy that is going to be. Or that when they get there, it's going to be super simple to make that payment and that they know what the expectation is ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Like if you're selling products for curbside pickup on your website and you're not accepting cash, that needs to be a very clear statement right. when you complete the order. Um, so setting that expectation of we are accepting contactless payment when you come mm-hmm. or you can pay now, mm-hmm. um, both are options, but they just need to be communicated to the customer. I would say that's a benefit if you, you know, if there is a benefit, you know, with what's going on right now is that it seems to have forced retailers to have to communicate that over communicate. Okay. We're accepting like even, even just with what we talked about before, right. With curbside pickup or contactless payment or whatnot, it's almost been like a forced training and over communication of we accept this type of payment. We are doing this type of service or whatnot, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. There's a whole new set of behaviors that are being created both by the consumer as well as by the retailer Mm -hmm. Um, and new ways of, and being forced to try new things. Whereas before you were like, Oh, we have a customer base that is effectively um, purchasing in store. We don't need to get online. All of a sudden we have this swarm to get online. And then retailers who were like, we had an online website was generating a small portion of our total sales. We're not going to invest in it. Now that looks very different too. Right. Um, and what pieces of the pie you need to make that work becomes really important. You to somebody to answer questions appropriately. Um, I think that there's been a bit of like delay in terms of getting people on board with how to contact and be in touch with customers online. Um, but like utilize services that are available and really affordable, like chatbots, Help triage your customer to who needs to get spoken to and when, like schedule times to talk to your customer if you're seeing like really high phone load, like figure out how to get in touch with the customer and answer the questions. Sending out an email and then sending an auto email back saying, hey, we'll be in touch with you in the next three to five business days not okay. Right. (laughs) Customer has just made a decision to purchase from somewhere else where they can find it if they were thinking about it. Um, so like you, we need to turn that over faster. It it should be a general rule. Like how can you get in touch with the customer in a day? Right. So what do you say to, I don't know if you encounter this ever to someone who doesn't have anything set up. Cause I know a lot of the retailers that I work with, their support line has been their store phone number and they're not in the store anymore. So what, what do I do? <laughs> yeah. Um, if you don't already have an, an email posted, 
post an email where mm -hmm. somebody can get in touch with you on your website. Um, you can also set up one of those contact forms on your website um, that sends you an email as well. Contact forms don't get utilized as much as an email address. Like it's just, there's a lot of hesitation because of the amount of information that usually comes with when a customer signs up on a contact form. So just make it simple. Um, if you can, and you're not in your location or you can schedule, like schedule your phone line to go to somebody. It mm -hmm. can be for the day, it could mm -hmm. be for the week. Like you could have a rotating schedule so that somebody is always on, going to be on the other end of the phone. Um, and there are like options, like I said, out there that allow for a chat bot to answer simple questions, which you could schedule like store hours. Are you accepting cash? That kind of thing. And then for the things that can't be answered, there are options to schedule an insight, schedule a call back or right. leave a message for somebody to be picked up. It's more of like an instantaneous. There are other customers that we've worked with who have immediately rolled out like WhatsApp chats um, send a WhatsApp chat so that we can answer you as quickly as possible, right. like as a way to get it done pretty quickly. Do you ever have a suggestion or a recommendation for a good chatbot, an easy to integrate, easy to launch self-service chatbot? Um, there's talk.io, um, who's really easy to integrate. Um, which is free, which right? Which is free. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I would be like, get on on that as quickly as possible and mm -hmm. um, there would also be other like uh, scheduling products which you could utilize to say like schedule a call and it would be able to book in like an appointment book and mm -hmm. um, book in appointments for a callback right like, as a customer if i'm calling in or trying to reach somebody at 9 a.m i know that i have time at one o'clock to talk to somebody let them make that choice mm -hmm. yeah i mean I'm just stuck on something you said about like not having it be a couple days delay. I mean, let's be real. It's, it's something that I think about a lot. I feel like Cause I do get some of these responses. Like we'll get back to you within 48 hours. I mean, how much volume are you possibly having right now? I mean, it's pretty much unanimous, like across the retail landscape, unless you're a grocery store or one of these things are just pounded with, you know, support requests. Like you had said, you're not getting as much communication as you once were probably. So you would probably think, have time to do it. You would think, but the, communication is the same, but it was never being measured when there was an in-store opportunity. So we didn't have to quantify the number of conversations that were happening in a retail store because somebody pops in, you wait a couple minutes and you're like, hey, pay attention to me and your question gets answered. That's a good point. But all of that communication is now being forced into one or two channels. Right. If you had multiple stores, how do you quantify the number of conversations you were having on a day-to-day? -day? Right. And now you're going to push them through to the channels that you have. Mm -hmm. So I totally understand how we've gotten to this point where it is. Like huge businesses haven't been able to figure True. out, get their wait time down. Right. But how do we utilize the teams that we have to diversify their responsibility because it mm -hmm. going all to one person is not manageable right now. Right. Like your, your previous kind of lane of communication is the same, but now it's taking a number of quantities. Right. That it isn't capable of managing. Right. So, yeah. Like it, it, it's, it's funny cause we just don't think about quantifying the number of interactions we have in physical stores. Right. You don't count. Okay. How many, how many miniature conversations did you have on the sales floor today? Give me that number and we'll put it on a, a, a chart somewhere. 
yeah, like what you could do to kind of figure out what kind of capacity you need is to look at your um, traffic numbers mm-hmm. from your store. If you have a traffic counter, if you have an idea of the number of customers that visit your store, that needs to be planned into your communication. So that's so you have, really interesting. So if you have a hundred people walk through your doors on a day to day, do your current modes of communication support a hundred requests? Right. If they don't, then you're probably going to have a problem. Right. And even, even the reverse of that, like I'm thinking like, I haven't heard someone actually uh, do the comparison of foot traffic you know, when they were open as a store to like, let's say the store is closed and they're doing now curbside pickup or online or whatnot. Like how many customers are you touching base with or communicating with on a daily basis? So it's interesting. It's an interesting thought process, right? Like not just do you have the capacity to service that many communications in a digital environment, but also like, are you even proactively having those conversations with your customers? Like how many actual like foot traffic is one of those like KPIs that everyone has, like how much foot traffic came in today? How many potential customers did we convert or impact? But I don't think that's, I feel like that's not talked about as much now that we're more digitally focused. There's, there's definitely been a, a pattern of um, looking at foot traffic in store as one thing and traffic on your website as another right. and having two completely different KPIs for both right. and not thinking at all about how they interact. Right. The reality is, is that your customer probably has multiple touch points before they ever make a purchase. Mm-hmm. If you're able to really track your customer journey, you probably noticed that they first interacted with you online. They then went to the store, may or may not have made a purchase and then gone home and made a purchase. Right. That's a lot of touch points that needed to happen. And so when we're doing it only digitally, how do you generate those touch points and what KPIs can you use to measure those? Mm -hmm that becomes such an interesting thing. Were they on your social media page? Then were they on your website? Did they go back to your social media page? It's, it, it, it's a lot. Um, and thinking about how those things interact becomes really important instead of operating as e-com and brick and mortar. Right. Or even do you, do you have the technology in place to know when those interactions are happening? You know, like, do you even like, like some of these numbers you're throwing out, I'm wondering, I'm thinking in my head of like, would I know this as a retailer? Like how many, how many of these do you know? Like, did they, like, can you somehow track? I mean, I know it's difficult to track the online to the in-store to the social media. Like it's, no one's found a perfect way of doing it, but like, have you even started this kind of journey around trying to quantify these metrics, I guess? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just starting with unique users is an interesting way to start to match Mm -hmm. them up um, and being able to track where the traffic came from. So when you have your website, you can track what led them to that space. Right. Right. Um, And that is a really helpful kind of beginner. It's thinking about your customer in terms of, and this is something that Leah and I talk about all the time with Vitrina Group, with all of our customers is what did your customer do before they had an interaction with you during having an interaction with you and after where did they go? Who did they talk to? What else are they experiencing? So when you were brick and mortar, we're having a conversation like, do they go to a coffee shop before they come to your store? What kind of coffee shop so that you better understand your consumer? The same is on the internet. Did they read the news before they came to you? Were they on social media before they came to you? What prompted them to, to access your 
online presence. Like those are become really important when thinking about that customer journey throughout that piece. I love that, how it's phrased. Do, how many people did you, when you start interacting with Vitrina Group and a retailer can answer you definitively knowing where the majority of their customers were before or after their store experience? Um, not many, um, which it's, it's not usually part of thinking about your customer. Your customer is like, what products do we need to service them? What is our mm-hmm. customer interested in? Um, but it's the before, we think it's the before and the after behaviors that really help you understand the holistic customer. And if we're like talking so much about lifestyle, how do you make your products fit into somebody's lifestyle um, and become a complement instead of just an addition? Um, And so the customers and the, in terms of our customers, retailers who are able to really definitively tell us those things are usually spot on with their brand. They know exactly what their brand message needs to be. Right. Because I, 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 the reason I ask is because I, I feel like, I mean, working my entire career in this industry is that's never talked about. You never talk about where they were before or after. It's always like just this moment. What happened in the moment they set foot in the store? Did they convert? Did you, did you service them the right way? What happened in that moment? And then that's your only KPI. So I love yeah. that. And it, it, for me and thinking about like, creating the sale, not just in product, but also Mm -hmm. creating the sales. Like what kind of energy is your customer coming in with? Do you have limited parking? So if you're going to do curbside pickup right now, do you have limited parking? How frustrated is your customer going to be when they come to your location to pick it up? What are they picking up? Is it walkable? Can they, do they have to put it in a car? Mm -hmm. Like those are the types of things that you need to think about beforehand to understand what needs to be done to communicate with your customer. So if the customer's picking up something heavy, scheduling a time to also, so that they know that parking is going to be available, probably really helpful. Mm-hmm. If they can pick it up on the out for a walk with their family and it can fit into a backpack or a stroller or whatever, probably less necessary. Right. Um, but making that differentiation is really helpful. Right. Yeah, no, I think you're, I think you're totally right. And it's, it's, it's an interesting dialogue. I actually do feel that retailers are having it more often now because they have to, like, once again, they have to have these conversations about what exactly we're doing operationally for curbside pickup. How does this whole, everything fit together, this puzzle of our website, the store, our staff, et cetera, et cetera. So it's definitely an interesting change that I think is probably needed to happen for a long time. It's just happening because it has to happen. Yeah. We are thinking about our customers very differently instead of us being just a retailer it's like we're here to service our customer um and there's a sense of like owning your customer experience both because we're making considerations around safety um as well as trying to retain customers on a level that we probably were not making the same effort for retention prior mm-hmm. um, that I think has shifted some of those behaviors very quickly. Right. So you just said just a retailer. And before this, we talked about, uh, you had sent me an email about what does, you know, kind of topics we wanted to discuss. And something that really caught my eye was this idea of diversifying revenue. Uh, Cause yeah. I think it's a conversation that is being had a lot, but not really being dug into with retail. Um, mm-hmm. So if you're just a retailer, like traditionally, you've only had one source of revenue. It's been selling whatever product you have. What's your perspective towards that now? 
I think that there's a lot of opportunities to um, think about what else your customer needs or wants um, and start to explore those as other revenue generating options. Like is styling going to be a piece of that? Right. Um, for example, uh, what else can be in the store? Can you share your store space with somebody else or another small business to service the customer? Like how can you make that experience as smooth as possible mm-hmm. and link things that are connected? Um, and that for me is like so important. Does your store need to carry all of the merchandise or does it need to be able to do a pick and collect really easily? Like that is right. where you saw some retailers prior to this um, making those moves with like central distribution and limiting the amount of inventory in a store. I think it becomes even more important and impactful now. Have you seen any examples of retailers who have I mean, it's too early to say successfully, but who have done creative things to do other things besides just their traditional revenue streams? Um, there, like if you think about the, the first ones, I think are the integration of like coffee, coffee shops into mm-hmm. retail environments. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been other uh, retailers who've been able to like link art galleries um, into their space, um, both so that you can help with the design of your store as well as with additional revenue and sharing costs. Um, and But I think that there's, I haven't yet seen somebody where I'm like, this is revolutionary um, in what they are doing. Um, like think a sneaker shop who's also offering cleaning. A service that like, like sneaker cleaning. Sneaker cleaning, yeah. yeah. So they're, they're, yeah. those spaces exist, like a dry cleaning right. space for your sneakers. Well, if you own a shop that are catering to sneaker heads, would that not make sense to have that also in your shop? Probably. Yeah. Or as a service, which is facilitated through your shop. So I, I love this idea. And I'm, frankly, I'm surprised that I'm not seeing more people with innovations in this side. And I understand why. I think it's just because if you've been closed for a long time, your first and foremost goal is to get back into business of what your business used to be. Uh, you're probably not jumping on the bandwagon to really pivot, I guess. That being said, like, if you're watching this and you're a retailer, I would love to see someone like that to me, like what you just said, is not this insane bet. Like our customer buys sneakers. Are they going to want sneaker cleaning? Probably. Like that's a great, you know, like, or try it. Like it's a, a low friction. Like if you already have a space set up for that, how hard could it be to set up sneaker cleaning? Uh, just a test for like a month. Yeah. You, you don't even need to have it at the store. Right. Can, can you create a relationship with the cleaner? I love that. You facilitate that. Yeah. Just take on that responsibility and charge for the convenience. Something like, that... So, I, I, my brain's like going wild right now. Like there's so many things you could do with that. Cause it's like, yeah, it's like, yeah. You know, like, I love that you said like, you don't even know, like if you don't know how to clean them, somebody does like have them drop them off and you can just figure out how to do that, that next step or whatnot. Yeah. I'm surprised more retailers. Sorry, I'm totally cutting you off by the way. No, no. I, sorry, but I'm surprised that more retailers don't have people drop. I mean, this is different with COVID, but like as things open up, have people drop off their online returns from other stores at their store. I've always thought it's bizarre that they don't do that because I hate returning things. And the reason I hate returning things is because I have to go find some UPS or USPS or FedEx, but every retail store has a daily pickup from 
name your carrier or whatnot. So, yeah. I, and, and you see like the mass retailers doing it, right? Like there's an example where Kohl's, I think, yeah, it was Kohl's that accepted Amazon returns and their business like shot through the roof. Yeah, For a small do. retail store, it'd be so easy. So easy. And for me, it's like also like offer the bag. So, yeah. you know, when you like do your return and you like ripped open the bag and like <laughs> repurpose the bag, like offer the bag, yeah. have them bring their label, do it at the store. What does the bag cost you versus getting the customer to the store? Like that conversion piece is, is a huge opportunity. And then better yet, you know, I mean, like, you know where they're shopping now. Like you're, you're oh, doing for a benefit sure. for them and you're like, oh, where are they shopping online? I had no idea this person spent so much money on this site. They come and return something every week. Yeah. Yeah. And like you would have these interactions. You also have the ability to have a consistent react interaction with your customer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like, can you partner also? Like, does it need to be just anybody or can you partner? If you're in New York City and a lot of people are shopping online out of for a brand or a retail location that's like in Texas, maybe, how can you partner with that brand as a drop-off pickup location? Right. Yeah. yeah, for sure. It can be collaborative. It doesn't need to be competitive if you're not in the same, if you're not selling the same products, why can't it be both? That's a good point, actually. And it's like, and people are saying this whole, like, we're in this together movement for everything. And I feel like maybe a lot of that hasn't come to fruition. Like, what exactly does this mean we're in this together? Because I mean, a lot of people are, especially in the retail world, sort of just in survival mode. But people are probably like, arguably more open to partnership than ever for these types of things. If it's a non-competitive relationship, everyone needs to be partnering or supporting each other very literally to make it through. Yeah. I mean, I think the ultimate historic example of partnerships might be larger format stores Mm -hmm. that are like think of Nordstrom, for example. But when the brands are having issues with generating and creating their brand identity, that becomes much more difficult when you have so many brands under one space. But a partnership between two um, or three, you're able to still articulate your brand the way that you are wanting and get in touch with and access a new customer base. That's one of the mm-hmm. attractive things about this is that you just went from having maybe if you have five or 10,000 customers that you're interacting with, you could True. double or triple that by just partnering with somebody that it makes sense. It's totally so, true. Like, are you a cookware's company? What else goes along with cooking? Yeah, like, like almost like this is a standard whiteboard exercise, right? Like if you're a cookware company, go to a whiteboard. What's every non-competitive company that you could potentially partner with either online, in your neighborhood, in your local area, and just like ginormous lists. And then what could be done with them? And then just start moving and trying it out. Yeah. Because there's some interesting um, retail, I guess, explorations happening in Ontario, in Toronto specifically. Mm -hmm which I think is really cool. Like somebody um, is creating a mobile grocery store out of a transport truck, um, a couple of them, and it's going to be awesome. driving them around this summer. Um, the opportunity for partnership in terms of bakeries, mm-hmm. like next level. You're, you can see the truck driving around. You can wave it down like an ice cream truck, same concept. And now you're going to grab a couple um, apples and some eggs and, oh, maybe some muffins because your favorite bakery that you can't have access to right now right. is in there. Like right. 
that's the kind of collaboration that on outside of food is never explored, but that now is the time. Right. Oh, that's amazing. So just to wrap up here, cause I, I gotta hop another call, but, uh, What's the, I mean, you, once again, are talking to retailers every day. What's the number one piece of advice you're giving right now to retailers to either like make it through or to reopen back up or just to think about with everything that's going on? For me, it's that, what does your customer do do before, during, and after Mm -hmm. to guide and make a new plan? So the old plan isn't going to work. So let's be focused on where we need to go and use the information that we already know about our customer to start to define what that's going to look like. Right. And then, so just to get like one more step tactical on that. So lay it out before, during, after, Mm -hmm. and then use that to dictate your future decisions and then execute on it or put a couple routes in place. Test and iterate on those things. So <laughs> use, an, use it as an opportunity to lay out and say, you don't need to commit to something for the next year. You don't even need to commit to it for the next six months. Everybody is in the same boat. You can probably create relationships if you have vendors to try some smaller drops in terms of inventory. Uh, if you're creating your inventory yourself, like test, see, ask your customer what they want. Like, you, you see it with influencers a lot on social media with like asking, what do they want to hear more right. of? Use the right. same, you can use that information as a retailer as well. Ask is a great advice. I think, that's, I think that's amazing. It's a good parallel too of like how people are generating content by just getting feedback from what people want to hear. Same thing with a store. Like what do they want you to do? Yeah. Um, and I agree with you. Like it's, it's true. It's like you said before, like if, if it's a brand new playbook, you don't know what the next step is. So you should just be like testing quickly. How quickly can you test, fail, iterate, and do that cycle? There's no playbook for what do you do the last time there was a global pandemic that shut all retail down in a month? Yeah. And and we still don't know. Like this isn't like a marked as of on a certain date, we are going to be in a whole new space. Yeah. Like, wow, that was fucking crazy. (laughs) We are still expecting a a large flux in terms of what is possible and potentially going to happen. So you need to make decisions that will allow you to flex up, flex down, try a new path. And so open up those avenues for yourself. Right. I think that's a great place to end. I think that's great advice. Um, Anything, where can they, people that are watching, find you, find more about Vaturina Group, find more information, get in contact? Yeah, you can find us at www.vitrinagroup.com um, or on LinkedIn. My name is Krista Reamer um, and we are pretty active in terms of sharing content and connecting with people in that space. Be the best places. And you work with retailers in the US, Canada, anywhere else? Uh, mostly North America. Uh, and we work with retailers in that, usually in that apparel space and cannabis space. Okay. Awesome. Well, Krista, I really enjoyed this. Thank you for coming on. That was amazing. Tons of great thoughts. Uh, Definitely interested to see, you know, how some of these things play out that we've talked about, because I feel like a lot of things you mentioned are in the early stages. So, uh, or people actually adopting it, I guess, not early stages of probably needing to do it, but. Yeah, I think that there's so much opportunity uh, and it is almost like an equal playing field moving forward. So I think it's great. Right. Okay. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Krista. And I'll, uh, I'll talk to you soon. Okay. 
Thanks, Nick. Have a good day. See ya, you too. Bye. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to another episode of Retail Coffee Break. I hope that you took something away from this conversation. And if you would be so kind and leave a review on iTunes, that would be freaking amazing. I would love to read your feedback, hear what you think of the show, get any suggestions on what we can improve upon or implement, and just make this a better experience for everybody because we all want to have a good time, right? But anyways, I hope you have a fabulous rest of your day and we will catch you next time.